Welcome to the podcast of Vertical Life Church. We hope and pray these messages encourage and challenge you to find your glorious purpose in Christ Jesus. For more information, visit us on the web at www.vlchurch.tv. God is so good. God is so good, and we believe for miracles. We've seen God perform signs and wonders, many miraculous things, and I believe the same God that raised Jesus from the dead lives in us, and that same power is released when we step out in faith. And so thank you, and we just want to continue to cultivate just that, that culture is f- that's fearless in our faith, that we're not afraid. We're not afraid to get it wrong. We're not afraid for nothing to happen. We just believe God and his promises, and, and that's when God does his work. Um, I want to con- ask you to continue to be praying with us on Sunday nights. We're praying for our 2021 vision. Uh, Reese, can you throw that up on the screen? There's three things we're really praying for as a church for this year. One is 21 new families in 2021. We, we prayed for 20 last year. We got 20 new families. So now we're praying for 21. Um, and uh, this year we're also praying for a fully funded building project. We've begun having conversations with uh, with uh, some builders and architects and uh, are beginning to try to get some of those details down. But uh, as we're uh, nailing that down, we also need the finances to come in because when God provides the plan, we want to be able to pay for it. So uh, so we're praying for that, and, and miracles can happen. Um, and also more leaders. There's an ever-increasing need for spirit-filled leaders who are surrendered to the call of God in their life to rise up and help lead the very thing God is creating and cultivating here at Vertical Life Church. Many over the last year stepped up, and we're so thankful for that, but we are in need of more, and we could always use more. And uh, the more we have, the more impact we can make. And so continue to pray with us about that. And I know God is going to move powerfully in this year. So today we're finishing our series on the sevenfold focus. Have you guys been enjoying this? Seeing what God is doing and where he's leading, who he's calling us to be. Uh, Over the last seven weeks, we've been unpacking this vision, the type of culture God wants to create, the type of people he wants us to be, how God wants us to create a heart of prayer in our city, a culture of prayer. He wants us to walk in the prophetic, not only to live by the spirit, but release the words that he speaks to us to bring blessing and breakthrough into the people's lives around us. He wants to be fearless worshipers that we praise without any uh, reservation, that, that when we gather together, that it's our heart on display, that we're not wondering about who's doing what around us. It's like, God, that here I am, all, all of me. You get it all. And so fearless worship, I believe that, that God also uh, wants us to be a place where people can be healed, a place where uh, they can find deliverance and discover freedom from their struggles and begin to walk the path of their divine destiny. I believe that this is a place that, that God wants to bring just to our community, a place where his presence is unleashed in this region. He wants us to be missionaries in our own backyard, focusing on local outreach. And not just that this church would reach out, but each one of us who are the church. Right, I think we often get this mindset where, where we got to invite people to the Sunday morning gathering. No, the Sunday morning gathering has got to go out and reach people. That God wants to take what happens in here in your life out there so that you can do it in someone else's life. That's what God, that's the local outreach, the vision and focus. And we talked about that 
this last week. And today we're going to talk about the final phase, the seventh focus, really phase three, as we grow into this people and cultivate this type of culture in this place. When, when God was speaking and laying this out, I really got the sense that this was going to be a ways out. But this is going to carry us into even when I'm old. That, that when, when I'm older and I'm ready to pass the torch, that this is going to be the legacy, what's going to be happening here. And in, in my mind, for what I see, it's bigger than anything I feel like I can handle, which is why I know it's God. Whenever you have something before you that you can handle, that's you. When you can't handle it and you know you're supposed to do it, that's God. Because in your weakness, his strength is made perfect. His goodness is on display in your life. Today we're going to talk about global outreach. What God is doing, this final phase and the fruit of the work that he's doing in us is going to be releasing us into the nations. It is a global vision. Not just a local vision. You know, we, we look at, man, the daunting task of building a building and structuring ministry. God has so much more than Clio in mind. So much more. In Matthew 28, 19, this is the Great Commission. This is part of Jesus' parting words to his disciples as uh, he has died on the cross. He's resurrected from the dead. Pardon me, I've been a blubbering mess. Let me take care of this real quick. Sorry for those that hear all that on, online. But as Jesus has risen from the dead, he's getting ready to ascend into heaven. And he's giving these disciples who have been with him for three years their final instructions. And in Matthew 28, 19, this is what the Lord says. He says, therefore, means everything I've said to you, I've set it up for this. Because of all of the, what I've been doing, now, therefore, go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Teach these new disciples to obey all the commands I've given you, and be sure of this. I am with you always, even to the end of the age. Do you think that those first believers were like, man, it's hard enough to reach Jerusalem. Hi, how are we going to? How are we going to get out of our city and, and go beyond? Hey, how are we going to do this? They felt a lot like we do as we're looking at meeting in a school, not even having a place of our own, wondering how are we going to grow? How are we going to build something that, that continues to go beyond even our lifetime? There are three things we can really see in this verse that I want to highlight quickly. Number one, again, God's vision is not simply for Clio. It's not simply for Michigan. It's not simply for the United States of America. It's for the whole world. We need to open our eyes to a bigger story than what we've been trying to live in our everyday life. Number two, we are to teach them what God has taught us. Who? Go and make disciples, which means Go and lead others to faith in Christ. Teach them what I've already taught you. So it's a reproduction. It's not go and just have them pray a prayer and then, okay, they're good to go. No, there, there is a reaching, but then there's also a teaching, which means we have to be discipled. 
we have to grow. And as we grow, we then go out and reproduce what has been done in us. We're not inventing something new. We're simply reproducing what God has already done, which means we have to let God do something first. We have to let God do something in us so that when we go out there, we can reproduce that. And number three, Jesus is with us. Behold, I am with you even until the end of the age. Far beyond any of your lifetimes, I am with you, church. The end of the age, the, the end of the eon, the end of the time, God is with us. He's never leaving us or forsaking us. And if we stay on mission in the going, in the reproducing, we will continue to enjoy the presence of the Lord. And what God has done in us, we will see him do in others, through us, if we remain faithfully submitted and partnered up with the Spirit of God. And this is why what we talked about last week was so vital, to join Jesus in his mission every day, to wake up with this mindset that we are missionaries, to take your place in the church and in the ministry of Christ in the world. You need not only to place your faith in Christ for salvation, you need to be baptized and his Holy Spirit. Because as those disciples are like, how are we getting out of Jerusalem? Jesus said, don't worry. Behold, you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes upon you. And then you'll be my witnesses. Right now, yeah, you have the instructions. But you can't do it in and of yourself. You need something else. You need the power and presence of God's Holy Spirit. You need the anointing power of God to do the work. You need that life-altering, life-rearranging encounter with God like the woman in the well that we talked about last week. She, she was an outcast. She had multiple relationships, so that was frowned on. That wasn't culturally acceptable. People shunned her. Most of the time, the women would go in the cool of the day in the morning or late at night to get water. She was there in the middle of the day, completely unheard of. Jesus went to meet her exactly at that place in time, and he's having this conversation. He encountered her in the midst of her mess. And that one encounter with the Lord made her leave her everyday life, her everyday duties, where she's going just to get some water to avoid the crowds and avoid the sneers, the jeers, the comments, the glances. I'm going out there. I want to avoid all this. I just want to live in the safety of my own little bubble, do my own thing. She encounters Jesus, drops the jars, and runs to the very people that rejected her and said, come and meet a man that has changed my life. When you have an encounter with God in the reality of your life, your life changes. You're not the same. The old is gone. Behold, all things are become new. This is what an encounter with the Spirit of God. We can pray prayers and ask for forgiveness, but when God's Spirit comes and makes His home in our heart, we're filled with the power and presence of God, there's a fire that's lit inside. And this is the fire, this is the passion that will keep us walking in step with the Lord on the path to fulfill his mandate on this house of worship. God's call on this church, which is our responsibility in the kingdom of God. And this is the mindset shift we need as followers of Jesus. The mindset that allows us to be in the world, but not be swept up to become part of it. See, this world is our vacation destination. When you think of preparing for vacations, you know, summertime's coming, spring break's coming, you got a little extra money, Uncle Sam was a little nice to you, tax return time, you're like, we're going to go on vacation. 
you know, and uh, so you start looking for deals. Maybe you, you try the three-day, two-night vacation package where you just say no to the guy trying to sell a timeshare so you can have a cheap vacation. It's called, we call it discount vacation. A and, uh, and so you plan it out. You look for your favorite spot. You prepare for it. And when you go, you have a blast, right? There, there's a lot of fun, a lot of things to do, a lot of things to see, people to meet. But you ever, like, just hate sleeping when you're not in your own bed? Isn't that terrible? Like, you go camping, and even if, if it's your camper or whatever, if you're there for an extended period of time, it's like in a hotel room. I hate sleeping in hotels because I can't sleep. Because it's not the same as living in my own bed or sleeping in my own bed. I just can't do it. You know, I might go unconscious for a few hours, but I wake up just exhausted. This world is not our home. It is a destination. It is a vacation spot. Philippians 3.20 says, we are citizens of heaven where the Lord Jesus Christ lives and we are eagerly waiting for him to return as our Savior. We, beloved, we live in the world, we work in the world, we strive, we slave, we sacrifice, we celebrate, we mourn, but this world is not our home. Our home is where Jesus Christ is. It is the eternal dwelling place of God. That's where our bed is, where we sleep well at night. It's in heaven. It's not in the vacation spot. This life will be over. You get 70, 80 years, maybe, if you're lucky, 90. But this life is a blip on the timeline of eternity. Our home is not here. We're just passing through. Our home is in heaven. But the struggle we ultimately face is the struggle of which identity we're going to live out in this life. If you're extra lucky and you get to spend more than three days and two nights in your vacation spot, you get to be like the snowbirds that go away to Florida for like months at a time. Sometimes your vacation spot can begin to feel like home. You can begin to feel more comfortable there. You start going to the same restaurants and you become a first name basis with the people that, that live there and the gas station attendant begins to recognize you and you begin to build camaraderie and, and it almost feels like home. But it's not home. But if we're not careful, we can forget where our true home really is. We will either live out of the identity of being a citizen of this world or we will live out of the identity, our true identity, of being a citizen of heaven. In 2 Timothy 2, 3 and 4, Paul is giving some instruction to his protege, Timothy, this young pastor that he's discipling and raising up into leadership. In 2 Timothy 2, 3 and 4, here's what Paul says. He says, endure suffering along with me as a good soldier of Christ Jesus. Soldiers don't get tied up in the affairs of civilian life, for then they cannot please the officer who enlisted them. Soldiers don't get tied up in the affairs of civilian life. Life. Soldiers have a duty. When they are deployed and they go overseas, they have a duty. They have orders that are given. They have a station. They have tasks. They have responsibilities. If they forget their duty, if they forsake their duty and get lost in civilian life, they'll fail in their mission. Like, picture this. Like, we go to war with a country overseas, and we send 100,000 troops, and they set up their home base, but the troops leave the home base rather than 
living out of that base, they go into the town, they buy themselves a shack, a shed, a tent, or whatever. They start wearing local clothes, and they just start living among the people like, like they're one of them. How effective is that war strategy? It's not very effective. Right? You need to wear the uniform. You need to live in a home base. You need to have communication with your commanders. You need to be in constant connection with the very group and the mission that you are supposed to be fighting if you want to win the war. And here is what Paul is saying. He's saying if a soldier gets lost in civilian life, they're going to fail at their mission, and it will harm the overall objective of the company. They will fail. And we, too, as believers and followers of Jesus, if we allow the world to dominate our thinking, the events of the day, the cultural influence to distract us from our true mission, we will not be able to give Jesus what he is due. We will not be able to give him the reward that is due. In Psalm chapter 2, verse 8, this is a prophetic psalm about the Messiah. As the Father is having a conversation with the Son, in Psalm 2, the father asks the son, he says, only ask, and I'll give you the nations as your inheritance, the whole earth as your possession. Son, you have pleased me. Ask me anything. Ask me, and I'll give you the nations. I'll give you the whole world. And what we see as Jesus rose from the dead in Matthew 28, 18, as Jesus is speaking to his disciples, he says, I have been given all authority in heaven and where? On Earth, what happened? The son said, Daddy, that's a great idea. I would love the nations. And God gave him all authority in heaven and on earth. All authority. The earth belongs to the Lord. So not only did Jesus ask for the nations, the Father has given him the nations as his inheritance. But Jesus went back to heaven. He went to take his rightful place at the right hand of power next to the Father in heaven. And he has enlisted us as his soldiers in his army. In John 17, 13 through 20, this, this is one of the most significant prayers in the scripture because it happens the night before Jesus' crucifixion. Anytime someone is facing death, and they're about to utter their last words. It is the most important things they could say. Nobody on their deathbed asks who won the Super Bowl. Nobody on their deathbed asks what the lotto numbers were. Nobody on their deathbed cares about the nonsense of the world. You know what they care about? They care about their family. They care about, did I do a good job? They care about the things they didn't do that are unfinished, the things that actually matter. You know, my wife and, and I have conversation and something that I, I have struggled with and, and continue to work through in my own life. She'll so often ask me this question. Whenever I get so busy, I begin to neglect or forget things. She'll say, you know, at the end of your life, what are you going to regret more, not working more hours or the time you missed with your family? What are you going to regret more? See, nobody on their deathbed says, man, I wish I could spend another week in the shop. Nobody says that. Why? Because ultimately it doesn't matter. It's not eternal. It's not significant. Here in John 17, just before Jesus is getting ready to be betrayed and crucified, he begins to pray, and we get a snapshot of some of his last words. And here is what the Lord prays. He says to the Father, now I'm coming to you. 
I told them many things while I was with them in this world so they'd be filled with my joy. I've given them your word, and the world hates them because they don't belong to the world, just as I don't belong to the world. And I'm not asking you to take them out of the world, but to keep them safe from the evil one. They don't belong to this world any more than I do. Make them holy by your truth. Teach them your word, which is truth. And just as you sent me into the world, I'm sending them into the world. And I give myself as a holy sacrifice for them so they can be made holy by your truth. And I'm praying not only for these disciples, but for all who will ever believe in me through their message. Does it mean something to you that before Jesus gave his life, he prayed for you? He prayed for you. He was thinking about you. The one with infinite knowledge, the one before time, the one who with the word spoke all things into existence had your name, your life in mind, knew at the moment you would say yes to Jesus. And he said, God, I'm praying for them. You were on his mind and his heart in the dire moment of his life. And he says a few significant things. One, he says, the world hates us. Why? Because we don't belong to the world. Beloved, why do we try so hard to be accepted by people that hate our guts? Why do we try so hard to fit in, to compromise what we know is true, what is right, what is holy, what is honorable, what is worthy of praise, what is God's will for our lives, why we try so hard to compromise to a world that hates us and will forever reject us because we don't belong to it. You know, parents, we say to our children all the time, especially when our kids are being bullied, we tell them, oh, the words that they're saying, they don't reflect your true value. Don't listen to them. Don't pay attention to them. If someone's being mean, we, we tell them, you know what, if they don't stop it, don't hang around them, right? It's like common sense. If people are being mean, well, you don't need to be around that person, right? Deny, block, enough said, you know, just boom. That's what we tell them. Why don't we listen to our own advice? Why do we look at the world and as the children of God, at people that hate us, that are, that are mean, that that don't want anything good for us, that want to reject us and revile us simply because we believe on the name of the Lord Jesus. Uh, like Tom Brady's wife can be elevated as a witch in, in the news and be celebrated for how she's helped him win all these Super Bowls, but you name one Christian like Tim Tebow and he's canceled by culture. And these are the people we want to impress and fit in with and be accepted by. Rather than seeking to be accepted by the world, we should seek to be transformed by the word that Jesus has given us. I have given them your word. Isn't that a much better trait? A world that's going to hell in a handbasket over the word of life. This is the very word, this is the very truth that Jesus said, remain in the truth, and the truth will what, beloved? The truth will set you. What do you want, bondage or freedom? 
What do you want? You want to be a slave? Or you want to be free? Jesus prayed not simply for the disciples that walked with him in this moment. I just want you to hold on to this. Before his death, he prayed for all who would come after. He prayed for you and for me that we would, one, be kept safe from the evil one, that, two, we'd remain in the truth, and, three, as we are sent into the world, we would fulfill the mission of God. That we would fulfill his mission. God, you sent me for a purpose. As you sent me, I am sending them. And as he left, I, I, I just feel it. We feel this all the time whenever we try something new and, and we feel alone and we don't feel good enough. We feel like scared and, and, and anxious and intimidated. But Jesus didn't leave and leave us comfortless. He sent us the Holy Spirit and he said, you will receive power when the Spirit comes upon you. He didn't leave us without what we needed. He gave us the very thing we needed to not just be empowered to overcome this life, but to be his witness. Not just in your backyard, not just in the quietness of your own home, living as a secret Christian, watching it on television, but to be outside, outdoors, amongst the people who reject you, loving them like Christ loved you. Be his witness. Not just to Clio, not just to Genesee County, not just to Michigan, not just the USA, but to the uttermost parts of the world. And there's something so profound in this calling, this calling on our lives, and more than what we even realize. We, we kind of get it. Yeah, we're supposed to be a witness, and, and we understand this, but there's something deeper that God wants us to see, something so significant that we've been called into Something significant about the calling and the sending to the ends of the earth with the gospel that we miss. And it's imperative that we don't get caught up in civilian life, that we stay on mission to live out this significance. This month, February, is Black History Month for the United States of America. And like it or not, race is an issue because we made it when we had slaves in this nation. And we are still reeling from the consequences of that sin. Still reeling from it. But this is Black History Month. And one of the most significant days in our nation's history. And, and black history is important to know because it's American history. There's nothing, there's no such thing as white history, black history, Asian history, and Indian history. It's American history. It's what makes us Americans. So it's important that we know our history. But on January 1st, 1863 was one of the most important days during the Civil War. That's when President Lincoln issued the Emancipation Proclamation as the nation approached its third and brutal and bloody year of the Civil War. This proclamation declared that all persons held as slaves within the rebellious states are and henceforward shall be free. It was the day the slaves were freed in this nation. But the war did not end until May 9th, 1865, two years later. And two years after the official proclamation, and one month after the end of the Civil War, on a day now revered as Juneteenth, June 19th, 1865, General Gordon Granger led a battalion of 2,000 troops into Galveston Bay, Texas, and he released the decree that was issued by the government by official order of the United States government 
that over 250,000 black Americans still enslaved in the South would be instantaneously released and given full rights as citizens in the United States of America. So now, finally, in our nation, the words one nation under God, indivisible, all men created equal, can begin to be a reality in this nation. This is a momentous occasion. Now, this decree had already been made on paper that the slaves were free two years before, but the reality of that freedom would remain withheld because, unlike today, news traveled much slower. Even though the war ended, the Emancipation Proclamation was issued, it took time to filter out to the southern states, and some of those states didn't even know the war was over for some period after the fact. So slaves, though they were free, were still living in bondage. So the Union military sent General Granger and his battalion to the southern states, not only to release the decree by the U.S. government, but also he had troops, if necessary, to enforce this proclamation by force. These slaves had already been freed for two years before, but it wasn't until General Granger and the battalion of Union soldiers came to give and enforce the good news did it become a reality in the South. In the same is true in the world today, beloved. Jesus has already conquered sin and death. In Hebrews chapter 2, he overthrew the enemy. The devil tells us he overthrew the devil who had the power of death, stripped him of his authority. He arose from dead three days later with the keys of the kingdom, holding all power and authority in heaven and on earth. The enemy thought he was winning. He thought when Jesus went to the cross that he was getting the opportunity to kill God. What he didn't realize is that by leading Jesus to die, it meant his own demise. In 1 Corinthians 2.8, Paul tells the church of Corinth that the rulers of this world, the principalities of darkness, have not understood the mystery of the gospel. If they had, they would not have crucified the gracious Lord. Jesus said, I don't, no one takes my life from me. I willingly lay it down. When Jesus went to the cross, it enabled Jesus to demonstrate to all the world what real love is, self-sacrificing love absent of all pride, something the enemy has no concept of because he's the definition of pride. The cross enabled redemption, salvation, and the overthrow of the enemy kingdom. They thought they were killing God, but they weren't. They were unleashing the power of God's love, his perfect love that covers a multitude of sins. Through fully surrendering his life to God, even to the death of the cross, Jesus made the perfect atonement for sin, and he conquered sin's power, death, and the grave, and he was given a name which is above every name. What the enemy kingdom didn't know is that by leading Jesus to his death, they were causing their own defeat. They are defeated. The war is over. The decree of freedom has come. But the problem is, is many people all over the world, some in this room, are still living like slaves. The decree of freedom has been made. But we're still living like slaves. And the reality is every nation in this world, every continent, has religions, a slew 
of religions, the Bible tells us that these false religions are really dominated by demonic power. Behind every religion is a demonic spirit trying to receive worship as God to enslave people, the minds of people, to steal, kill, and destroy. The religions of the world are meant to dominate and destroy, which is why all the religions of the world, aside from Christianity, true Christianity, the gods require the people to sacrifice, where in Christianity, God came and became the sacrifice. It's only in Jesus that freedom is made possible. All the religions of the world require people to sacrifice themselves in some manner, some way to find favor with the gods. It's a religion of fear. Jesus is the only God who sacrificed himself. And through his sacrifice, freedom has been proclaimed. Jesus said, we talked about deliverance. He said, I've been anointed to proclaim liberty to the captives, to set blind eyes free and open prison doors. We have been sent into the world to deliver the good news to those who were enslaved. The day of freedom is now. Now here's the significance. General Granger not only had the message, but he also had the power and the authority to enforce the message. When Jesus called his 12 disciples, the 12 apostles in Matthew 10, 5 through 8, says, Jesus sent out the 12 apostles with these instructions. Don't go to the Gentiles or the Samaritans, but only to the people of Israel, God's lost sheep. Go and announce to them that the kingdom of heaven is near. Heal the sick, raise the dead, cure those with leprosy, cast out demons, give as freely as you have received. Before the cross, he sent his apostles to the Jews because the salvation was to come from the Jews. After the resurrection, he sent them out into the whole world to what to cast out demons proclaim the good news heal the sick raise the dead make new disciples teach them to do the same things the power of the spirit came why so that we would have the power to enforce the decree now this word apostle is it's such an important word because prior to christianity's you know takeover of the word it was used really by the greeks and the romans in a specific way it was to refer to a dignitary that was sent to a foreign land, a conquered territory, and lead a cultural revolution. How many of you heard that phrase, when in Rome, do as the Romans do? Rick, show of hands. Very popular. When in Rome, do as the Romans do. It's similar to, if you can't beat them, join them. You know, it's a very familiar phrase. That phrase, when in Rome, it came from this understanding that whenever the nation of Rome conquered a new land, they didn't just conquer it, they had to renew its culture. In ancient times in Babylon, when Nebuchadnezzar would conquer in the ancient Babylonian conquest, he would conquer people and he would take the best and the brightest of their nations, bring them into his upper echelon of government officials because he believed with the, the plethora of culture and influence that they could become the greatest nation that has ever existed. Rome was different. They already thought they were the greatest. So they thought... We're going to redeem everybody from their barbaric way of life. We're going to conquer them and make them like Rome. So that's where this phrase comes from, when in Rome. When Rome conquered a nation, they would send an apostle with artisans, craftsmen, cultural influences, and military to go and lead a cultural revolution so that they would stop worshiping their gods, stop holding their traditions, and they would become just like Rome. So when Jesus uses this term apostle, what he's telling his disciples 
is that I'm not just commissioning you to tell about me, to share a message, to announce a decree like General Granger. He's giving them the authority and the power to enforce it over the enemies he's conquered, meaning the spiritual powers that have been in power. What he was doing is he was sending the apostles to undo the demonic culture that dominates and enslaves, that has been enslaving the world, controlling by the enemy, and to bring heaven's culture from heaven down to earth. Jesus prayed, let your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. This is what the apostles were doing, not just telling people about Christianity. They were flipping the demonic culture on its head. Jesus, when he taught, he said, you've heard it said to hate your enemy, but I say unto you, love your enemies, do good to those who hate you. The culture of heaven is an upside-down culture where the most important of us are the greatest servants. We lead from a place of humility, not self-importance. And the Holy Spirit has been given to help us enforce this culture to become like Jesus every day so we can teach others by our example how to live like citizens of heaven. You see, once the slaves were free in the United States of America, that wasn't the end of it. You had generations of people that didn't know how to live free. They had to be taught how to read. They had to be taught how to write. They had to be taught how to properly dress themselves. They had to be taught how to eat with utensils and how to cook food in sanitary ways. They had to be taught to live like human beings because before they were treated like animals. And that same mantle that Jesus had has been passed to us. The authority, the power through the Holy Spirit has been passed to the church so that when we go into all nations and we set the captives free, we also have the ability to then teach them how to live free and not continue to live in the same patterns of brokenness and enslavement to demonic power. In 2 Corinthians 5.20, Paul tells the church of Corinth, we are Christ's ambassadors. Somebody say ambassadors. We are Christ's ambassadors. God is making his appeal through us. We speak for Christ when we plead, come back to God. When we share the gospel, when we, when we tell the good news, we are Christ's ambassadors. An ambassador is a dignitary appointed by a government to represent the government and the land they are sent to, to establish relations, treaties, partnerships. An ambassador of heaven is one. We're not simply going into the world to build relationships. We're going as apostles to establish kingdom culture. And these lands and territories, including our very own country, are still controlled by the rulers and powers of darkness in the unseen realm. Virtually every country on the continent has a, a spiritual force masquerading as a religion, a philosophy, a way of thinking that is meant to enslave and keep people from the truth. The enemy has convinced them that, that many, that they're still slaves. Many who even are involved in Christian churches, they, they've, they've prayed the prayer, but they still believe they're slaves which is why they continually walk in condemnation and don't understand that there's no condemnation for those in Christ Jesus. That all that was past is old. It's gone. You've become brand new. When God looks at you, he's not ashamed. He's proud. Who needs to hear that today? When God looks at you, he's not ashamed. He's proud. 
We sing a song called Pieces that in, there's a lyric in there that says, you're not ashamed to be seen with me. No, God wants to show you off. It's often us that won't leave the door to go with him where he wants to show. The world is still dominated by the power and influence of the enemy. But Jesus is sending us into the nations as his ambassadors and as apostles to announce to the people, you don't have to be a slave anymore. You're free. You merely need to call on the name of the Lord. In Romans, it says, all who call on the name of the Lord will be saved, will be delivered, will be changed. It's by the blood of Jesus that this is possible. In Matthew 28, when Jesus said, go into all the world, that word world doesn't just mean geographical locations. It's not, the globe is not mine. That word world is actually, the, in the original language, is ethnos, which means people group. God's not interested in geographical location as he is the heart and soul of all who live on the earth. So God is not just interested in the people of Clio going to heaven or the people of Michigan or America. He wants the whole world to hear. In Revelation chapter 7, we see a picture of a vast multitude in heaven before the throne of God and the Lamb worshiping before the Lord. They are of every nation, tribe, and tongue. And these people are the ones that get their eyes wiped by the Lord. Every tear from their eye, no sickness, no crying, no pain. God will be their God for all eternity. They'll have eternal life. This is God's picture of the people he's trying to cultivate, to pull out of the world, out of bondage, out of slavery, and into freedom. God's heart is that the whole world hears in our participation, not the church at large, yours and mine our participation in this mission has prophetic implication. There's a greater story at work in your life and in mine that we even realize. Matthew 24, 14. Jesus is teaching. He's giving some end-time revelation, and here's what he says. He says, The good news about the kingdom will be preached throughout the whole world so all nations will hear it, and then the end will come. What end? The day of his return. When the good news of the kingdom is preached to the ends of the earth, where all nations, all people groups, every tribe, every nation, every tongue hear about Jesus Christ, then he's going to return. Did you know there's still people that live on this planet that have never heard Jesus' name? Oh, Lord, come quickly. But there's people in my life that don't even know Jesus' name other than a curse word. How quickly do we want Jesus to return? How quickly do we want him to clean up the mess and make all things new? It's hard to believe that there's still people out there that don't know who Jesus is because Christianity has been a dominant religion in the world. Uh, I would say true Christianity is still expanding, but much of the name of Jesus has been shared through a lot of the world. But there are still people who have never heard. So the longer we as the church, ambassadors of Christ, stay lost in civilian life, stay comfortable in our vacation spot, sleeping in a bed that doesn't belong to us. And we wait to capture the vision. 
the longer we prevent Jesus returning to the earth. That's why the scripture says, wake up, O sleeper. Open your eyes. The more we tell, the more who hear, the further we go, the faster he comes. no greater day. There's no greater purpose. There's no greater life than to live as Christ. When God laid this focus on my heart, the Spirit of God was speaking to me. Not only was this a long-term vision of where we were going, but I believe what God said was that you will become a home-based network for world churches. You'll raise up workers in the harvest field to exercise dominion over enemy territory, breaking generational bondage in nations for thousands of years, not just in religious systems, but there will be missions to uh, government, economy, arts, entertainment, media, education, the sciences, community relations, justice, and, and the like, that it's going to infuse every aspect. We're not just sending missionaries to start churches. We're sending politicians to overturn the bureaucratic bondage in nations. That there's more to this than just the simple build churches, send missionaries. I believe we need to send missionaries. We need to support missionaries. We have missionaries in Thailand right now dealing with the demonic bondage there, the tongs to Sur in Thailand. We've had the Pethtels who are starting a church in, in Italy, in Milan, Italy. We support the Moors now who are taking the gospel to Portugal. The more people who say, I want to dedicate my life to this gospel thing, I think we should put money behind and send them because it's important. But we can't abdicate our own personal responsibility because we write a check and put it in the bucket. We have to be on mission as well. If God has placed us here as missionaries, we need to dig in and do the work here to build the kingdom here so that we can then send down and reproduce it out there. God is raising us up to build his kingdom culture here. So we can send out apostles and ambassadors to the world. I believe God is calling some of you out to the nations. I do. I believe this in my heart. That some of you here, especially some of you young people, God is calling you out to the nations. God is calling you. You have a call on your life. Some of you can do it right now. You've been debating a change in employment. Maybe this is the moment that God says, it's time to surrender. It's time to join me in this mission. I believe God is calling some of us as apostles to the nations, some to be prophets to the nations. Maybe you're not going to establish churches, but you're going to equip churches through the prophetic word and the working of signs, wonders, and miracles and preaching the gospel to enable local missionaries and ministers to advance the work of God in that area. Maybe some of you are called not to lead but to serve because every ministry needs a team. And so you're going to call and you're going to be the best servant you can in the name of Jesus to help the ministry be built and grown. 
Whatever God is doing, if you're listening online, you're not exempt. You are also called. You are also under the voice of the gospel. The Spirit of God is speaking to you. There's somebody, I just feel it right now, this is stinging you in the chest. Give up the pride and the selfish ways. Get out of the world. Get down on your knees and receive, receive from the Lord today. Just receive it. Your life will be forever changed. You'll literally be set free. You'll stop trying to win a game you can't win, pleasing people that hate you, and you'll fall in love and walk with the one who gave his life for you. Imagine a world, beloved, that is primed and ready for the Lord's return. This world will never be perfect, but imagine the world where all people have heard. Imagine tribes and towns overcome by dark magic and evil spirits and just the demonic lies and philosophies and customs of this world that lead to brokenness and bondage, corruption and wickedness. Where nation, there are nations today where children are recruited into armies, where women are regularly sold into slavery, where abuse is rampant, poverty is, is forced by philosophy. There's exploitation is the norm Imagine if these places have radical encounters with the presence of God through the preaching of, of the gospel. Where now people are being healed. They're set free. They're not going to the medium or the sorcerer or the local wizard or a shaman. They're going to Jesus. Imagine. Where the living gospel is preached and the demonstration through the Holy Spirit is done and people not only find freedom but they begin to learn to live as citizens of heaven do you think if people are living as citizens of heaven there's going to be rampant poverty in a nation no because the favor and blessing of God will be upon it they'll stop walking in the curse and so stop living in the blessing the destiny of generations will be forever changed the destiny of nations will be forever changed I want to nail this, this down in your spirit because often we feel like we're fighting a losing battle. We're not fighting a losing battle. We're mostly not fighting. Jesus has already won. We are mostly not fighting. But in Acts chapter 19, Paul, again, think of this. One man and a friend turned the world upside down with the gospel of Jesus Christ. He had to go through some stuff. His life was a nightmare for most of us. But he had the peace and grace of God on his life to endure it and overcome it. He goes to Ephesus, a place that never heard the gospel. And in Acts 19, we talk, hear this story about the results of his ministry. He starts preaching, he starts leading people to Christ, and he starts seeing revival happen in this city. And the local craftsmen, the idol workers, the people that would make the little statues for people to worship began to have a problem with Paul's ministry. In Acts 19, beginning in verse 23, he says, About that time, serious trouble in Ephesus concerning the way. That was Christ the name of Christianity before it was called Christian. It said, It began with Demetrius, a silversmith who had a large business manufacturing silver shrines of the Greek goddess Artemis. He kept many craftsmen busy. He called them together along with others employed in similar trades, and he addressed them as follows. Gentlemen, you know that our wealth comes from his, this business. But as you've seen and heard, this man 
Paul, Paul, has persuaded many people that handmade gods aren't really gods at all. And he's done this not only here in Ephesus, but through the entire province. One man. Of course, I'm not just talking about the loss of public respect for our businesses. I'm also concerned that the temple of the great goddess Artemis will lose its influence and that Artemis, this magnificent goddess worshipped throughout the province of Asia and all around the world, will be robbed of her prestige. The Word of God tells us, both in the Old and New Testament, that false religions, false idols, are representative of demonic power. There was a spiritual entity behind this goddess Artemis, which was a goddess in the Greek pantheon. They often change names depending on the culture that they're in. The temple of Artemis was one of the seven wonders of the ancient world in the land of Ephesus. Is that standing here today? I wonder. I wonder what happened. These men made a living making idols. Every time they made an idol and someone bought it and took it home, it allowed that demonic spirit power and influence over that family. They made trinkets that would draw demonic power. And this spirit Artemis and those who ran the temple had great influence both politically and culturally in this major city. The more idols there were out there, the more adherence to the religion there were, the more power and influence this spirit had. But someone named Paul showed up into this city and had the audacity to tell people about Jesus. He had the nerve to show them how they could be saved and demonstrate through the Holy Spirit how they could be healed, not just physically, but also spiritually, where those, the Bible says, are slaves to fear because of death, no longer had to fear death anymore. They had no more fear of the very thing they were enslaved to because through Christ and His crucifixion, the blood that was shed and His glorious resurrection, they were slaves no more. And they took their idols and their demonic paraphernalia and they burned it in the fire. And they quit going to the stores and buying the very things that kept them enslaved. And lo and behold, this demonic spirit started losing its power, its influence, and its control. And it didn't like it very much. So it riled some people up to start persecuting the believers. But you know what they did? They kept preaching. They kept proclaiming. They kept declaring. And they built one of the strongest churches in all the New Testament. The church of Ephesus, Ephesians, is written because of this church. It's where we get to talk about spiritual warfare, the armor of God, the fact that we are citizens of heaven. What we are is now seated in heavenly places. We're not what we were. We are now altogether new. And it was one of the most prominent churches in the Asia Minor in this time. In the temple of Artemis, no longer stands but the church of Jesus Christ has risen and is forevermore we are not losing the battle we have already won the war and the more we walk in faith the more we take a stand the more power the enemy loses and the more influence Jesus has we really have two options as believers we can complain about what's not right in the world or we can take up our cross and follow Jesus. 
We can complain about the evils in the world and what the enemy is doing and wreaking havoc in around the world and in many countries, or we can say, not on my watch. Not on my watch. More of us that go, the more of us that preach, the more of us that demonstrate with our lives the power of the Spirit, the more the enemy loses power and influence, and the more heaven will come to earth. Thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Beloved, I believe there are seven things the Lord wants to do. One, God wants to bring heaven to you. Do you know Jesus as your personal Savior? Has there been a time in your life where you really gave your heart to the Lord? Where you said, God, I'm all yours. Forgive me of my sin. My life now is in your hands. Have you begun a relationship with him? Have you experienced the freedom he came to give you? And not just forgiveness of your sins, but true, abundant life. If not, just a moment when we stand and we sing, you come forward. And let's do this thing. It's going to change you. Number two, he wants to fill you with this spirit. Have you been baptized in the Holy Spirit? Have you been anointed with the power to do the very thing he's called you to do? Are you seeking it? Do you want more of God in your life? Apart from God, you can do nothing. You need to get connected to the power source of God through his Holy Spirit. You can't do this thing by your own strength. Paul didn't turn the world upside down because he was a good lecturer or debater. He did it through the power of the Holy Spirit. You need the Spirit's power in your might. God said, not by might, not by power, but by my Spirit, says the Lord. You need the Spirit of God in your life to be anointed with the power to do His purposes. And beloved, He wants to build you up and train you. Number four, He wants to send you. Number five, He wants you to train others. Number six, He wants you to send others. And number seven, he wants to change destinies of individuals, families, and nations. But it begins right here. Right here. And he's inviting you to play a role. Some of you, he wants to stay here, root in, build this thing up. Some of you, he's going to call on you one day to go. And you need to be ready for that. You need to be in full submission. You need to be working on being built up, strengthened, growing in the Lord, getting your life into alignment, positioning yourself for the move. I believe God has mighty things in store for this ministry. Something that has eternal significance. To support the, the vision of Vertical Life Church, we need to be personally invested and involved. And if you're ready, to accept this mandate from the Lord. Then, beloved, together, let's stand and let's receive and let's do it in agreement. In Jesus' name. Lord, we don't say that lightly. You are Lord. Whether we acknowledge it or not, you are Lord over heaven and earth. There was none like you there is none beside you. There is no other God but our God. You are Lord. 
God, we receive this mandate, fully recognizing it is not because of us. We didn't earn it. It's not to glorify us or make our ministry popular. It's to advance the kingdom of your dear son, Jesus. It's to elevate the name which is above every name. And that is Jesus' name. So God, have your way. We are your clay on the potter's wheel. Mold us, shape us, make us, change us. God, right now, as you are speaking to hearts, Holy Spirit, as you are speaking to hearts, God, make a move. Make a move. Don't let us stay the same. God, when that fear creeps up, speak the word. Give faith. Faith is a gift from you, God. Give us the faith to take a step of faith. The one that's here that needs to accept Jesus as their Savior, God, then when we say amen, that they would leave their seat immediately. They wouldn't wait or hesitate. They'd come down, and they would come and to receive prayer, to receive you as their Savior. Those that know they need to be filled with the Spirit, you've called them to do something, but they've never been in full surrender to receive the Spirit and anointing of God, God, that they would come, lay down, and confess, and get everything out of the way they've been holding back, and that we could pray that they'd receive the Spirit. God, those that know that you're calling them for significance and ministry, to take the gospel to the ends of the earth, that they'd come down, kneel at these front seats, Lord, and lay their life in your hands. Say, God, not my will, but yours be done, Lord, that today the shift begins to happen, the growth begins to change, that the water of the seed you've been planting is, begins to grow fruit today in Jesus' name. Lord, we receive this. As we declare, no longer are we afraid. No longer are we slaves. But we're free. We're free. The Son has set us free. And who the Son has set free is free indeed. Now help us, God. Go get some more. And lead others to freedom. at Vertical Life Church. We want to say thank you for listening. If this ministry has blessed you in any way, please consider making a tax-deductible donation to www.blchurch.tv forward slash give. Thank you and God bless.